just a quick warning that we're going to be talking a lot, a lot, a lot about death and existentialism. So if you're not in the right headspace for that, maybe just get these next few episodes. everyone, welcome to another episode of A Hopeless Endeavor, a Joanna Newsom podcast. I'm Sam. I'm Nikki. Part four, baby. <laughs> of leaving the city. Here we are. We're back. We're back. For a nice morning recording session, at least where Sam is, where I am, it's 12, but it's fine. It feels like morning when you have a baby. <laughs> Perpetual morning. Perpetual morning. <laughs> M-O-R. Um, yeah, ooh, but I like M-O-U-R. Mm. In the context of this song, at least. Not yes. really. Okay, so we talked about leaving the city on the last episode. We're we gonna sure did. We're going to continue talking. I'm, I feel very intimidated, as though that's a new thing with these songs, but I feel very mm. intimidated by the part that's coming up and leaving the city that we need to talk about because it feels like there's important shit happening and I don't quite have the ability to like put my finger on what it is that's going on exactly but it feels important and it feels heavy and I just wish I could first listen to a podcast like a hopeless endeavor (laughs) to prepare to record this podcast that would be great Uh uh-huh yeah I mean, yeah, I would still, I would love if someone else did this because I <laughs> do it too. Um, okay, so last time we finished talking about uh, the spirit and the rending and the scythe and the reaping and the light and the seeping and all of that. That's right, yeah. Um, so our friend Samir um, posted on Facebook in our Facebook group. You can find us there, Hopeless Endeavor Podcast, if you want to. Um, sometimes we talk about stuff outside of the episodes. Um, but Samir made a really cool point. Let me just pull up their post here. Um, they were talking about, um, and I know this is something we've talked about before, for sure. Um, like how a human's perception of time versus different animals, um, And I kind of got stuck on, because birds are so heavy in all of the albums, what time means for birds. Mm. So Samir had said, um, there's debate about whether or not dogs live in the moment and whether or not they exhibit emotional reactions, emotional reactions of what we would consider mourning when faced with death. Mm. Uh, He only found, they only found um, conflicting sources. Um, apparently dogs do seem to mourn their loved ones, both human and non-human, but their understanding of death is different than ours to them. It's more like this individual is missing. So I took that as like an object permanence thing, like this thing that I once took to be permanent is not here. Um, if they do live in the moment more than anything, it could imply that they really do not know about death in the same way we do, because while we also live in the present, we also think about the past and future just as much. Um, and Samir goes on to make many more interesting points. And then I got lost in this search thinking about birds. And I want to say we've maybe read something like this before. Like I remember either listening to a podcast about 
birds <laughs> the reception of time were like something like that but i found this very cool book by vincien de pre mm. um called and i couldn't find it at the library i couldn't find it on amazon i couldn't find it on like the listening apps um but it's called living as a bird and okay. it sounds incredibly cool how does anybody even know this like how do you test what another thing's perception is like so from a few different articles I read, um, some of the tests about time perception had to do with a blinking light. Okay. Um, let me pull up. I also have this Gizmodo article by Daniel Kolitz. Um, um, okay. So this is the Gizmodo article. So this is from um, Andrew Jackson, who's an associate professor of zoology and zoology in Dublin. Um, and they say, um, one way to measure, uh, the speed at which animals perceive the instantaneous world is to sit a human down and flash a light bulb in front of them. You speed up the flashing light bulb until they don't see it flashing anymore until it becomes Mm. one constant light source. And you can effectively pose the same experiment with animals. And then Andrew goes on to talk about the range of this ability in the animal kingdom at the lowest end. And this makes me think about Colleen. You have deep sea marine isopods and wood lice, which are enormous. I can only see four flashes every second. But the so wait, upper end. That means the lower <clears throat> end as in they perceive time in the slowest way? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then at the upper end, so we have deep sea marine isopods, and wood lice on one end of the spectrum. The other end, we have, like, flies who are seeing 250 flashes per second. And then they ask, do they perceive time differently? I don't know, but their view of the world is different. Um, And this is just kind of a really nice quote. Um, What this means is you you can have two animals sitting beside one another, one seeing all these little details, hypersensitive to all those minute little changes, the world flying around them. And meanwhile, the other is basically living in a completely different temporal niche, living a slow-paced kind of lazy world, completely oblivious to all of it. I just really like that image. cool. It's really cool. And then there's this cool thing about swordfish. Um, before swordfish go hunting, they will increase the blood supply and heat to their brain and their eyes. Um, the consequence of consequence of which being that they can dramatically increase their temporal perception rate. So you have this reasonably warm blooded, fast moving super predator, its visual speed jacked up to its absolute maximum, diving down into the deep and meeting these slow sluggish animals. It must be like dealing with a visitor from another dimension. Oh, so cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Really weird, though. I'm still struggling with, like, so I got very little sleep last night, so Mm. almost certainly just my foggy brain. But the idea that, like, if you're perceiving more, then time is going faster. Is that the assumption that if you notice more shit, that time goes faster? Great question. <laughs> I think what they're saying is the way I'm understanding it is like if it's, it's a combination of both things so that if you're noticing those details, if you're able to 
um, perceive more flashes per second of that light that your perception, your perception brain just went totally blank <laughs> for a second, um, is more detailed and time moves more quickly. Um, but if you aren't able to perceive all of those different things, because you're seeing in less detail, time moves slower. Interesting. Because I like intuitively, I could see it going the other direction. I'm not saying at all that this is the case, but like mm -hmm. if I notice more things, it feels like it's because I have more time to like look around mm -hmm. as opposed to like speeding through and only noticing four things uh, in the minute. Uh, it's very confusing and hard to think about though. So, okay. So the more things you notice, then the faster time is going is what this this. Um, researcher is either assuming or positing. I have much more to read. So oh. let's see if this clarifies. All right. Another professor, Edward A. Wasserman from the University of Iowa, says animals perceive light, sounds, and smells with dedicated distance receptors in their ears, eyes, and noses. The perception of time is far more enigmatic. A light, a sound, or a smell can be perceived to last for four seconds. Indeed, a four-second interval might begin with a flash of light and end with a burst of sound. Without any specialized bodily receptor for the perception of time, how can animals mark its passage? Of course, how animals perceive time presupposes that they do. You don't have to take my word for it. Extensive laboratory research with mice, rats, pigeons, and monkeys clearly document this perceptual ability. One elegant way to explore this matter is to present stimuli of various durations and ask animals to make one response when the duration, say one second of light, is perceived to be short, and to make a second response when the duration, say four seconds of the same light, is perceived to be long. So we're in a lab. You're training an animal to, um, I'm going to assume, press a button when they see a short burst of light, and then press the button again when they see a longer burst of light. Mm-hmm. Correct responses are rewarded with food. Incorrect responses are not. Rats learn this task readily. They also show the reliable transfer of temporal discrimination when a hissing sound is substituted for light. So we can say that rats um, are able to discriminate both through their ears and through their eyes that difference in the length of light, so mm. the length of time. Um, hmm. Brighter lights or louder sounds are perceived to be longer than dimmer lights or quieter sound. This finding suggests that this brain system actually scales stimuli from multiple sensory dimensions in terms of their magnitude or intensity. So that's pretty cool too. So what was that last point? That the brighter the light, the what? The longer the sound or longer time. So if something is brighter or louder, yeah. they perceive it as a longer time duration the, shit is so crazy i <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that shit is overwhelming and insane and it makes me question like what about for humans like what shit am i not noticing that makes time go by quickly or slowly that we're able to figure this out about other species through these experiments is so cool real cool research sam i'm into this yeah um Okay, I'll just read one more thing. Yeah. This is from Kevin Healy, 
who is head of the Galway Macroecology Group at the National University of Ireland. I'm going to send you this link so you can include it in our show notes because it's okay. just a really cool thing to read about. Okay. Um, so they say, humans can see flashing lights up to frequencies of 60 hertz. Lights that flash at higher frequencies, such as AC light fixtures that flash at 200 hertz plus, just look like constant light sources to us. However, other animals have much higher pre-rational abilities compared to us. For instance, some blowfly, blowfly species have critical flicker fusions of 300 hertz, meaning they can see how the world changes around them at 300 frames per second. Other animals are much slower. Starfish can see less than one frame per second, while some deep sea fish can perceive less than 10 frames per second. <laughs> I find it easier to think of it in frames for yeah. whatever reason, like yeah. pretending you're a camera and like clicking that many pictures. I'm blinking very quickly. Um, <laughs> makes it easier to understand for me. Um, for those animals, much of the world around them would be perceived as a motion blur. Um, think of the blur when looking out a car side window. Hence, their perception of time is likely to be slow, matching their own slow lifestyles. Mm. And generally, oh, in generally, oh boy, in general, we find that animals with fast-paced lives, such as birds that catch their prey on the wing, have fast eyes and detailed perceptions of time, while animals with slow lives, such as deep-sea fish, have slow eyes. Humans um, are somewhere in the middle between cats and dogs. Hmm. Interesting. So I like the – oh, between cats and dogs, too. Interesting. So I like the idea that um, all the birds that are flying around throughout this album mm – Hmm. Like, for them, time's actually going a lot faster than it is for us or something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, I'm going to keep this in my – in the back of my brain. Real cool, Sam. Real cool. I have more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is back to the book called Living as a Bird, which I would love to read. Um, but we'll get to eventually, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, so this is an interview with the author about the book, um, and they say some really cool things. So they say, I think for birds, um, time is very, very different. Sometimes they live in the pure present, but when they sing, for example, they have to negotiate and to manage the time because what is song? It's music, and music is a question of managing time. Cool. Real cool. Uh, a bird's concept of time would also be much more seasonally based than humans, given the drastic changes in certain species' behavior based on the time of year. Of course, birds are prone to all kinds of psychological conditions that humans don't know about, which may alter their sense of reality. Um, so I love that because we've talked about, and these lyrics mention seasons so frequently, mm -hmm. and I don't think we have connected... I mean, I'm sure we have a zillion theories of why seasons are mentioned, but I really like the idea that we are telling time in seasons throughout these albums because our perception, the narrator's perception of time is bird-based. <laughs> I think that's really cool. Um, and the last thing that this author says is um, birds have an unusual relationship with space. And I think this is something we talked about when we talked about um, um, diving and height and where things are coming from. We had it on our list earlier. Yeah, yeah. Like the direction um, of movement. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So humans only live in the two dimensions offered by the horizontal world. Birds have a wide range of vertical options. This would influence a bird's sense of its own body relevant to the rest of the world it inhabits and also opens it up to a universe of sensory experiences based on atmospheric pressures. Um, birds can move up and down layers of the atmosphere with the relative ease of a jogger wandering through types of different terrain. Um, okay, that's it. That's all I have. Thank you, Samir, for sending me on that wild goose chase of time perception. <laughs> it was really you, fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds really fun. Super interesting. Totally fascinating to me. I don't know why I feel so overwhelmed. I think for for anything to do with time and perceptions of time, I immediately, like, I just so quickly get to the point where I'm like, oh my God, this is like too much for my like little pea brain to understand because it, uh, there's something about it that like threatens my own like previously reliable or thought to me to be reliable sense of time and existence. And then like totally. as soon as that gets threatened, I'm like, oh my God, like it feels so destabilizing that like I don't even know how to consider it kind of. But that makes sense, right? Because it's your perception of the world as being challenged. Yeah. And it's like you're never going to be able to perceive time in the same way that a deep sea uh, whale or <laughs> a bird perceives time. So to kind of wrap your your head around that not only are there like visual systems, but their hearing and their smelling systems are impacting their perception of the world and their perception of detail and time. Yeah. Really crazy. It's really <laughs> it's crazy. Wild. And it positions us too as just like another species of animal mm. that is like adapted to our like environment and adapted to like the things that we need. And like that's the only reason that we're perceiving any of this the way that we are is because we are just as animal as the deep sea whales and the like wood ticks or whatever. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. 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 It's totally. Crazy. I think anything that decenters humans is, um, uh, kind of knocks you off balance yeah. for a little bit. I totally get that. And um, it's also just like the question of if, okay, so like if I'm throwing out my perception of time and like the way the world works, then like, I also just like lose the ability to know how to think of it then like right because like okay throw away what I know but like what do I rely on then there's just like no there mm -hmm. there to 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 reliably frame everything from I don't know it's just yeah it's scary it's scary and then I think you get to the question was like is it reliable in the first place right and no, the answer is no. It, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's not. All right. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> should we hop into the lyrics? I have... The last time after we recorded, I said this to Nikki before we pressed the little red record button. Um, so th this bird perception hole was one I crawled into last night. But after we recorded last time, I asked somewhere for people to send us their thoughts about the Grim Reaper and personification of death. And then I myself went into a little uh, wormhole about that stuff too. So I have quite a few things about death as well. But I would also like to not talk. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I'm so excited to talk about personifications of death. Cool. Um, 
uh, you're probably still gonna have to do a lot of the talking. <laughs> yeah, but okay. uh, I have like four pages, Nikki. I'm so what? excited for it. Whatever. I hope you guys are as here for that as I am because I mean, we'll get into why we're gonna be talking about personifications of death in a second. But yeah, let's get into the lyrics and then death comes right up. So we'll get into it. Okay. Okay. Um, would you like to read or do I'm, uh, I guess. Can you read? Yeah. To minimize the talking, I will read. Okay. <laughs> so she writes and sings so beautifully. In December of that year, the word came down that she was here. The days grew shorter. I was sure if she came round, I'd hold my ground. I'd endure. But they'd alluded to a change that came to pass. And spring, deranged, weeping grass, and sleepless, broke herself upon my window glass. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. It's so beautiful. Like above all. It's beautiful and it's also horrible. (laughs) It's also horrible. It's super scary. It's like really violent imagery. Yes. I get very much Kingfisher vibes from this. It makes me think of the lyrics about the blood around the head uh, that are right, that are in my brain somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I very much get like death destruction vibes. Um, (laughs) Death destruction. Joanna's actually secretly just metal. <laughs> oh, I would love a metal Joanna album. I'd be so sick. Um, um, yeah, bad. I also think, um, I wonder if you think this too, the broke herself upon my window glass makes me think of the little brown bird. Um, in only skin. In only skin, yep. People are saying this so much. Uh, so yes, you are not alone. Definitely I also think that too because of the window glass and the flying yeah, f- flying oneself into <laughs> the yeah. window glass and death being all yeah. around us. Um, people on Genius said that they also felt that connection. And then I'm on JoannaNewsomLyrics.com Joanna and the person here in the notes section has said um, that, yeah, has made that same connection and said – so, like, we should look to to Pale Fire by Nabokov because there's birds flying into windows there pretty famously. And they brought up um, something I didn't know, which is that Pale Fire was apparently inspired by Robert, Frost, Robert Frost's poem, Questioning Faces. Um, mm. And so I looked that up just to see. And it's just this tiny, short little poem, but I'll just read it here um, if that's okay. So, questioning faces. The the winter owl banked just in time to pass and save herself from breaking window glass and her wings straining suddenly a spread caught color from the last of evening red in a display of underdown and quill to glassed in children at the windowsill. So, yeah, that's that. We got some bird imagery. We got some glass imagery. We got some red imagery, (laughs) (laughs) which we also have in leaving the city. Yeah, that's pretty much all I have. So anyway. um, I rarely do we read these poems and I'm like, oh, shit. Like that's 
on the nose, yeah. but I feel like that one's really on the nose. Yeah, it feels pretty relevant, huh? It does. With its bird and its window glass and, yeah. What's the name of it again? Sorry. Questioning Faces. I feel I like I have to look at it. Yeah, I feel like I should have read like a Questioning Faces analysis because I'm not very good at knowing what poems are, are about, which is unfortunate for this podcast, but yeah, there you have it. Um, we so do maybe it's we about can. death or something too. Also, who are the questioning faces? It's interesting that in the poem we have save herself from breaking window glass, ah, but we have broke herself upon my window glass. Yeah. I feel like that's a, that's a, a choice there choice that I hadn't contrast. thought of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we've got a lot going on. The first note that I have is just that we're mentioning December here, which if we're um, making reference to our like list of shit to keep in mind, December is a pretty square positioning in winter, at least in mm -hmm. North America. <laughs> um, but uh, the days are shorter. It is winter. It is like the – it like brings to mind that because the days – we're growing shorter and not longer again. It brings to mind like right at the closing of a year, but also right at the closing of a life. Like we're right at the very end. Mm. And so it for me brings to mind being like at death's door and like having to grapple with the end of life slash like thought of what's going to happen after that. I really like that. I didn't think of it as – um, a death thing. I think I was, I mean, I guess I did. I guess I, I think I was only thinking of it as like a death thing in terms of seasons mm. um, as, you know, December being the death of all fauna things, yeah. um, at least in wintry places. <sighs> did we talk about who she was last time? I feel like she was mentioned. I don't think so. But if we did, we should do it again. Yeah. I'm just scrolling up. Oh, also that this verse is the same tempo as the bridal bends yeah. in Idle Hands. Um, is I can't, real sick. Is really sick. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember if we mentioned last time for the bridal bends part, but like, it, sure we did, but I just don't remember it. But just the like way in which the tempo and like instrumentation picks up is so stark a contrast between like the pale sky, red barn, white clouds part. Like it yeah. slows right on down and then like picks up in this like frenetic, chaotic way that just like makes you feel like you're barreling towards the end. <laughs> Which really makes me want to connect it to perceptions of time and those flashing ah, lights. Interesting. And makes me wonder if that means that we have more than one narrator. Yeah. I mean, also something that we had talked about, I want to say in the first episode or something, was the way in which the city and the country can do that to our perceptions yes. of time too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. And so then. Yeah. Sorry. Depth. <laughs> that was my full thought. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know, just that there is those perceptions of time and that they're tracking on to like the more like 
words that are coming out that are going on, like the faster time is barreling towards the end. Corresponding to like either, I don't know, like maybe city country dichotomies, but also maybe like, like, you know how like life sort of feels like it's going to go on forever when you're in the midst of it. But then like, I can imagine getting word or like knowing that you're going to die soon that that just instantly speeds everything up. Like it, you go mm. from thinking that you have forever to having like a deadline or like a, an end time. And that, that mm-hmm. changes everything pretty radically. Like I remember when I lived in Winnipeg and um, like found out that I got into Syracuse University and so like found out I was going to be leaving Winnipeg where like I fucking hated Winnipeg when I was there. And then – as soon as I like had an end date, I was like, oh, I'm leaving at the end of June or July or whatever it was. Um, as soon as I got that end date, I was like, oh, my God, like everything like it all went so much faster because there was only like four weeks or something left. And like it went faster. And then at the same time, I slowed down and like stopped to like, you know, like consider all the kids I was working with being like this is my last time with you like I just it's all Mm -hmm. finite in this way that changes um yeah your perception of things I think that's something I think of a lot in like the grand scheme of things like life is hard (laughs) um having something to look forward to is so important yeah and it doesn't really matter what that thing is it can be the tiniest smallest little thing that does exactly that um and that's something too that is unique to humans Mm -hmm. at least from um those pages of articles that i read earlier um right that we're able to see in the past we're able to reflect we're able to see the future but we're also um we're also word did I just say also capable of (laughs) seeing the present too (laughs) um yeah yeah and it it I forget where this was someone commented because last time we'd said something about like some philosophers distinguishing the difference between animals and humans based on that ability to like Mm -hmm. like look forward in the future and to like know that we're gonna die but also to like like yeah it like it it's both a gift and a curse to know that you're gonna die like you can like plan for it and you can uh you know at least there's an end point if you're suffering like all sorts of stuff but then also like holy shit knowing that you're gonna die causes so much dread and anxiety right now it colors the way that we view the world and fucks our our perception anew in this whole different way yeah yeah 100 percent um, when you were talking about the perception of time in the city versus the country, it made me think of, and now I have this visual in my head of a horizontal line of city and country, and then I want to turn it vertically so that the country is on the bottom and the city is on the top. And I want to do that because I want to think of the country as those deep sea isopods mm, and wood lice. Totally, and I want yes. to think of the city as um, fluttering birds. birds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that we have that like four dimension of of time. It's really, really, really cool. Totally. And then having the four dimensions of time perception and knowing that like none of it is real and it's all just space. 
Like, yeah. <laughs> like that time is only uh, a spatial thing uh, that is, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know enough physics to talk about it, but it's all fucking trippy. But that like boils down to your brain's perceptive abilities, that it boils down to what your ears are doing, what your eyes are doing, what your nose is doing. And I'm sure lots of other things, um, but that that's all connected to your brain and it depends how sensitive your receptive abilities are, um, what your perception of time will look like. Totally. But, but yeah, like we were saying at the beginning in this like really destabilizing way, we're like, you might think like if I'm blind or something, like one of my perceptions, um, one of my perceptual abilities is, uh, hindered, uh, then like there is like a bunch of properties out in the world that I'm just not perceiving, but like the, you know, redness still exists or like blueness still exists out in the world. I'm just like not seeing it, um, or not perceiving it. Uh, but with time, it's like, if we weren't perceiving these things, if I didn't have ears and eyes and noses <laughs> with which to smell and hear and, and see, time just like wouldn't exist anymore. Like it's not a thing that is independent of us. I don't think based on my very bad understanding of science. So Andrew Beal, oh. a postdoctoral scientist at the MRC <laughs> laboratory of molecular biology at Cambridge. <laughs> this is this incredible Gizmono article writes a little bit about the Mexican blind cave fish. Okay. The Mexican blind cavefish was one of the first to definitively show that cavefish have circadian rhythms by showing that the molecular part of their circadian clock is still functional, even though these fish have been isolated away from the day and night cycles for hundreds of thousands of years. A number of other cavefish species, species from other parts of the world also have circadian rhythm, rhythms, but these have been altered in the same way during the course of evolution. Really have cool. altered in some way. Really cool. Um, the Somali cavefish has a circadian clock and shows circadian rhythms, but it has lost all sensitive sensitivity to light. So its perception of time in a circadian sense is probably more to do with temperature cycles or cycles oh. of availability of food. A Chinese cavefish shows... I didn't know there were all these different kinds of cavefish, but I guess <laughs> wild. A Chinese cavefish shows some aspects of a functional circadian clock where some genes important in the clock are expressed. An Indian cavefish show some aspect of circadian rhythms and behavior. So even if you're not able to perceive the traditional senses, something still takes on that responsibility. Yeah, yeah. You like infer it because your food isn't available at certain times. Exactly, because your food isn't available or, or um, what else did they say? Temper The temperature changes, um, which is just wild. Really cool. Sam, what is the word and who is she? And who is bringing oh, the word? Oh, Lord. So I don't have the official lyrics with me, but I want to say, I want to assume, and this is just totally because of my own perception of these lyrics, <laughs> that words should be capitalized. That word should be capitalized? Yeah. And I'm only saying that because I think of it as the cause. Interesting. Okay. Right? I don't think it is capitalized. I just want it to be, you want it to be capitalized. That's fair. I want it to be the word. The word. Mm -hmm. 
So what is the word? What is the content <laughs> of, of the word? Okay. I think... Change my mind as I start saying it. Um, uh, I mean, I guess the word is that she was here, that she is, was here, is here. But who is she? Yeah, who is she? That's the question. <laughs> I think she is death. Yes. Or and I think life. she, yes. And I think she is death as it relates to nature. Okay, say more. so because we're in december yeah because we're in the winter yeah all the things are dying yeah um the days are growing shorter i feel like in this verse our narrator is trying to push against time as it relates to seasons so in december of that year the word came down that she was here so winter's here yeah you are hearing as someone on the planet that shit's about to get really hard everything around you is dying shit's getting really cold it's getting really bad there's no food whatever i don't even know what form earthly form our narrator is taking right now but the days are growing shorter yeah so you're getting this time perception in temperature you're getting this time perception in light you're getting it um because your food's disappearing and you're fighting against that yeah i was sure that if she as in the change of season, as in death, came round, I'd hold my ground. I'd endure. So I wouldn't fall to this. Yeah. Like, this isn't what's taking me out right yeah. now. I'm going to stand against death. I'm going to stand against winter. And in a very silly way, <laughs> it makes me think of, like, when there's a glitch in The Sims and they come to kill my chickens. And then for just for, like, four days, the Grim Reaper is standing beside my chickens. <laughs> I know. And the chickens endure. <laughs> they yeah, the chickens endure. <laughs> No, I'm going. And that's all I got. <laughs> all right. No, that's totally fair. I think I have a very that's similar interpretation where I think of she as being death. And I also get the vibe from our narrator here that she's like bucking against whatever natural force is is about to play out. Like she's like, no, fuck yes. that. Like I'm not, I'm not going to be yep. subject but in this very futile way where she's like yes. trying to not be subject to the forces of nature that she's of course of course going to be subject to that there's no escaping and so yeah. i get the vibe that she's trying to like set so she's like in this setting where uh she's watching all the nature die she's uh you know it's winter the days are getting shorter and she thinks that like she's trying to set herself apart from nature in that way. And she's trying to say like, look, that nature can die, but like I'm going to stay. I'm going to endure. Um, and the enduring part too, I've gone back and forth between whether I think it's like, look, I'm going to endure as and I'm just going to keep living my life and like nature can can do its thing, but like I'm not going to be subject to its laws. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like – trying to square that with like what role religion might be playing here so it, like mm. maybe like my spirit would endure i'd hold my ground as in like i am not going to be disintegrated into nothing in the same way as like the bush over there is mm. um i don't know exactly i'm not sure because then there's also in the next line they they'd alluded to a change that came to pass so maybe the change is like i my form changed, but, like, I endured, you know? Okay. I love all of that. Okay. 
very, very much. I really especially like the distinction of like the physical and the spiritual self, yeah. whatever. And we don't have to use the word spiritual. We could say blobby self. We could say ghost self, whatever. Um, but I think that distinction here helps me to understand the second part of this verse because my theory only takes me to I'd endure. <laughs> <laughs> so by splitting that, by splitting the narrator's self in two, I think, um, lets us move forward to spring. Yeah. Because I think in my theory, you don't endure. Like, you are just a part of nature. Um, and, you know, winter is going to get you no, no matter how hard you try. Yeah, you can. Um, yeah. I like when you said... Uh, that she's trying to set herself apart from nature because to me that falls into the category of futile things. Yeah. You you try, but... But you're not different. You, you can't... No, you can't fight against death. Yeah. There's nothing exactly. nothing you can do. But we do have... There is there is this theme throughout the album of the narrator fighting against this like very inevitable time thing, right? So like in, mm-hmm. in particular... Um, uh, you will not take my heart alive comes to mind where she's like, no, like you're not doing this to me. Like I, yeah. so I think that maybe that might be a motif here maybe. And like, even in Sapokonakin, like, remember me, like, don't, you know, just like this, this human futility of trying to, trying to just like not accepting that nature gets us all. <laughs> Um, I'm curious, like, when she writes that they had alluded to a change, they'd alluded to a change, mm-hmm. the they, is it just, like, society had sort of said that there would be this change when I was going to die? Mm. Is it, like, what, what, and, like, the change, the change from being alive in this form to being alive in a, in a more spirity way? I don't know. I don't know. I want to say yes. I want to say that that's what makes the most sense. Um, I'm just scrolling back through the lyrics to see if there's a mention of they. And of course there's not. Hmm. Um, Okay. Let's look at this. But they had alluded to a change that came to pass and spring deranged. Weeping grass and sleepless broke herself upon my window glass. Oh, God. Also, should have just stopped after the last verse. <laughs> what's that? Should have just stopped after the last <laughs> The but here I think is interesting. So I'd hold my ground, I'd endure, but they'd alluded to a change. So, like, she's contrasting her being convinced that she's going to stick around and hold her ground and endure. Um, she's contrasting that thought with the thought that like, but they'd alluded to a change. So like, turns out I am not holding my ground sort of because they'd alluded to a change that came to pass. And so whatever change is in question, I think she's saying like, and it happened. So they'd alluded to a change from this form to that form and it came to pass. That's how it actually turned out. And Okay, in like a sort of broader way, my understanding of this verse is sort of filtered through my understanding and like sort of theories about the rest of the album. And 
the rest of the album, I think of spring and light and dawn, all of those things as being this erasing force um, mm. throughout the album. So we talked about this a little bit on anecdotes where uh, my theory is that, and not just mine, it's informed by all sorts of shit that I read about this, but that at the end of life, which is like also represented in this album as nighttime or winter or like end of day, that um, that's when we die. And then like the cyclical nature of it brings us back to this birth part. But like it can't be the case that we remember at the time of birth, we remember that we've just died and sort of made this transition. And so there has to be some kind of deleting force, some sort of force that erases that transition. Because after all, babies don't come, for all we know, they don't come knowing that they've just lived this whole life, right? So mm-hmm. so spring or like, yeah, the end of winter, spring, the end of nighttime, dawn, um, all, all those like transitional forces come, they have to come equipped with some sort of mechanism with which to get rid of our memories of our previous life so that we can start refreshed. And so um, because of that theory or understanding that I have for the rest of the album, in this particular verse, um, when she says, they'd alluded to a change that came to pass and spring deranged, weeping grass and sleepless, broke herself upon my window glass. I'm imagining spring as having come because she's already died. And so spring is coming to do the deleting. Spring is coming to like do the washing away of the previous life that you that you had just lived. And because of that, I'm sort of inferring that death had to have happened because spring is here after all. And so I think that our narrator dies in this verse, I think. I mean, I love this idea a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, Sorry, I'm just kind of organizing why. (laughs) I love, uh, I think, first of all, I love a personified season. I love this idea that each season has a role. And also the idea that this idea of erasure and I think the way I think of it is like no logical system would force you through all of that suffering and then have you bring that with you to the next step yeah like I think it's it's a logical (laughs) whatever logical means in the span of this discussion um it's a logical thing that you don't carry all of that with you to the new season that you have to start anew that if it, you know, if we're talking about it in terms of life that you have to start life anew. Um, while you were talking, I was also thinking of our narrator as being on the farm and kind of giving into that experience and that the change that is coming is also like an acceptance and, Um, I don't know if we're talking about erasure, maybe erasure of your old ways of understanding, um, and I don't know, kind of accepting what, what your new perception is, what your new life looks like. Mm -hmm. This verse is just wild. It's wild. It's super fucking wild. And like, 
we not only have to make sense of like why spring is here and breaking herself, but like, yeah, what what's wrong with spring? Like, why is she deranged, weeping grass and sleepless? Deranged is such an intense word. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's so specific. It speaks to like um, an out of control, like a disturbed and eccentric, like over the top. I like imagine like a really animated um, unwellness. Yeah. Yeah. Like unwellness is, I think, a really good word for it. I think it's also interesting that she is personifying spring as a herself, as a woman. Um, mm-hmm. uh, also, we'll get to it. I know you have notes on this, but I think that earlier when the word comes down that she was here, I think the she in question is death. And then here the spring is now also a she. And I think that spring is like the erasing. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. My first thought is maybe – Spring is deranged, weeping glass and sleepless and breaking herself upon the window glass because she's had to, she has a lot of work to do in doing this erasing. Mm -hmm. She has to do this really painful work of like getting rid of that life. Yeah. It makes me think of the roles at the end of Baby Birch and, um, um, the blacksmith and the shepherd yeah. and the butcher boy and how I know we talked about how they each have a role and they have to do this awful, awful thing. Yeah. And I think you're totally right that spring takes on all of these responsibilities. And I'm sure we can tie that into like the roles of women somehow and like how, um, you know, they carry the emotional burden and all of that. Um, yeah. But that spring shows up and she is deranged and weeping grass and sleepless and doesn't arrive in a calm way, but arrives in this like explosive um, breaking herself upon my window glass is a lot. It's a lot. Um, I have a bunch of – I have a bunch of just – somewhat disconnected thoughts about this one particular part mm-hmm. of the verse because I think there's a lot going on here and it's hard to parse but like yeah she like I love first of all how it's a contrast with how we normally view spring as this like refreshing like yes you know rejuvenating time Joanna is positioning spring as this fucking force of destruction this super violent like uh way and also maybe making spring into a bird here too a female Mm -hmm. bird because she's breaking herself upon the window glass which is just the imagery like you had said earlier from only skin and from pale Mm -hmm. fire and from um, questioning faces by robert frost and so uh interesting that now we have a season being personified as a bird, which were both like separate things on our list to look out for, but now they're being fused as one. <laughs> yeah. Oh. You'd think we'd organized it, but <laughs> we did not. And also I, sleeplessness too, as it pertains to femininity and like gender roles that women have to um, take on. We've explored also in Only Skin and 
in in several other songs since then. But yeah, like the fact that it's up to her. It's up to her to figure out how to erase this life, to do this like really dirty emotional work. That it's not only up to her to erase it all, but that it's up to her to carry it through. Yeah, yeah. And like have that power of, and we're given a lot to this personified spring here, but to like um, decide what to do with it. Yeah. And to carry that burden through this like incredible transition. Totally. Um, I also think with Broke Herself Upon My Window Glass that I envision sunshine hitting the window too. Oh, um, yeah. Um, in the same kind of way that a bird would, um, that it's like a shocking and like a unsettling um, kind of thing. Yeah. Like violent in its own way. Like, yeah. Yeah. Brings you out of your, the way that you were. And that spring shows up full of emotions too, right? Like spring's been up all night. Yeah. Spring is weeping. Spring is deranged. Spring is has been through it spring has been through it yes yeah um Um, i read on genius too someone had pointed out that uh spring being weeping grass that that imagery of weeping grass calls to mind the motif that was going on earlier in anecdotes and possibly throughout the album of um the dew the dew on the grass so if we get oh yeah so we have like crying grass imagery being linked with the dew on the grass imagery. And the dew on the grass, if you remember way back from anecdotes two whole songs ago, um, <laughs> was a very much to do with like perceptions of time and like we like the erasing power of the sun maybe. And also just like, yeah, that it's a mark of time that like the dew is burning away um reminding us that everything is temporal and, and scary what what did you say sam i was just looking at the lyrics the dew laid down yeah lay down and dried laid down and dried and then while the dew burns away yeah that does it for part four of leaving the city thank you guys so much for being here and listening with us we have a facebook check us out there to help us endeavor to join us some podcast we have an email that we would love for you to use to send us voice memos and thoughts and theories but voice memos for sure and that is a hopeless endeavor at gmail.com yeah yep. hopeless endeavor at gmail.com um, Sam does an excellent job running our Instagram, which is a hopeless endeavor podcast and Patreon. Oh, yeah. and We're on right. Patreon. Patreon. We have bonus episodes there. We have early releases there. Uh, so check us out. I will link to that in the show notes. And um, okay. Email, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon. We are on Twitter, but eh, we'll, we'll try and we'll be get, better we'll at that. We lost the password. Yeah. <laughs> We didn't know we made it. it. (laughs) All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back next week with the very last episode on leaving the city, which is part five. Yep. Yes. Um, Okay. So we'll see you then. Bye. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Bye.